Hi, I'm Jeff Miller. I'm Anthony Navarro, and welcome to Talk Out Loud, where we share the LGBTQIA narrative one story at a time. On this episode of Talk Out Loud, we're here with Nikki Turner. Nikki, also known by Faith, is the founder of Helping Faith, an organization dedicated to strengthen the minds and futures of transgender, non-binary, and intersex humans. Their work includes rehousing those who are homeless and helping acquire essential goods from clothing to cell phones and more. They also provide access to medical care, rides to doctor visits, and other appointments. And in this episode, you're going to hear Nikki's phone going off from time to time. They are constantly there to help those humans that need their services. Missing a phone call or a text is just not an option. Nikki is dedicated to the humans that they are working with. Let's hear Nikki's story. Welcome to Talk Out Loud. We are so grateful and just blessed to be here with you today. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well and highly favored. Oh, so today we're joined with Nikki, um, also known as uh, Faith to some of their friends. And we're here in Los Angeles to, to share a little bit about your story and to introduce some of our listeners to some of the wonderful work you're doing and just create some understanding and you know, and I find it for myself that uh, sometimes it, it helps me to understand where, like, where someone's come from. So if you don't mind, wh- where are you from originally, Nikki? So I was born here in Los Angeles, California, but I was raised in Texas, in Galveston, Texas. And so I moved to Texas at a young age, like maybe three years old, to stay with my dad's side of the family. And so I was cared for by my grandmother and my mm-hmm. step-grandfather and um, two aunts. Um, in one household. Very loving family. I grew up Catholic in a Catholic church. You know, I was in the choir. I was, um, I did, went to catechism school, like like the whole nine when it comes to like being in the church. The, my upbringing was fairly, fairly easy, I would say. I think that, but at that time, I wasn't really in a whole lot of um, communication with my mother. Um, and I'm not sure what, like what, what disconnect had came about from my family that I was staying with in Texas and my mother. Somehow they lost like communication for a, a, a long period of my childhood. Growing up in Texas, you know, already everyone knows that it yields its own um, difficulties and challenges, you know, being so conservative, which doesn't allow a person who has um, the types of expressions that I have be welcomed very easily. But, you know, yeah. Just- yeah, you talk about expression. You mentioned uh, being in choir. Was music a form of expression for you as, as a youth? Um, at that time, it definitely was a, a place of like an outlet to be able to, uh, for me to be able to um, tap into some other like talents that I may not know that I had. And I think that I was also a very creative brain type individual. So I enjoyed, you know, things of like, playing the piano because I played the piano when I was younger as well. But that was something that I, I don't do now, but I do plan on like picking that, p- picking that back up. So yes, music I listened to, I would listen to, oh my God, I remember having a CD player, you know, those are like so obs- like obsolete now, but um, having a CD player <laughs> uh, and, and like literally carrying it with me everywhere. Pretty cool. I have to, now that we think about it, it's such a nostalgic moment. I wish I had a CD player. What was if so? To give us a little idea, like who, who was who was on uh, on rotation in your in your CD player, like 
<laughs> oh my god, when I was when I was younger, oh my god, I listened to uh, Mary J. Blige, um, Aaliyah, like TLC. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. TLC for <laughs> sure. Like '90s music was like everything for me. Like Queen Latifah, you know SW SWV, oh, like yes, in Vogue. Like you, mm-hmm. like you name it, you name it. It's like, and I grew up with Patti LaBelle, mm-hmm, Shirley mm-hmm. Teaser. Like I love gospel music. It really gets me together. Yeah. It helps keeps my spirit in, um, in line. That's for sure. Man, you took you, you took me back with SWV. That was the, the, the first ever uh, CD I ever actually had. That, that, oh, wow. Yeah. That sample, they, they, they sampled something from Michael Jackson, I feel like in one of their songs, but. I- Right. I feel like everybody samples something from my yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you said that you grew up Catholic. I did the same. I, I did as well. So I know for me, growing up with like sort of this Catholic background, I felt like I was able to get a foundation in my spirituality and now my like in my adulthood, like my spiritual practice. Did you find uh, some of some of that happened for you or what kind of um, spiritual connection or spiritual life did you have as a kid and has that carried over to your adult life? So the spiritual life that I had growing up in a Catholic church was like incongruent with how I feel internally mm. because, you know, Bible thumpers, as they may call them, are the church, have their own, you know, meaning to life and why we are who we are and and what type of relationships we're supposed to emulate and who we are as people. So I was always, you know, when I would see people like in our community that are around and I would just hear my family members maybe like maybe point out and may maybe make fun of them or something, which was just it was just also inappropriate, but it was also like mm-hmm. something in my mind where it was just like, okay, I could, this, this could be me they making fun of, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. to be honest with you, when I was that um, young, like being gay or anything in that sort really wasn't on my radar. So I was, mm-hmm. I was just, just being a kid and just trying to like live and, and enjoy life. Technically uh, what I had, what type of spiritual foundation I had then really didn't carry mm-hmm. over Till now, like now what I, I feel is like mm. I'm more of a spiritual person. I'm the embodiment of everything. Um, I'm not in the constraints of mm. like, you know, sex, race, and gender. Um, and I look at people sure. as humans. And so I think it's now I'm very, more of a spiritual person um, than anything. Yeah, it sounds like the type of environment, like you said, was a little bit more conservative in like what you grew up in. Where I feel like my experience in the Catholic Church, I think, is just interesting because it depends on where you are, like geographically, how that sort of interpretation happened. I feel like for where I was, um, it was more of like don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. Like it wasn't really we, there wasn't this like sort of like backlash towards you know people who were gay or you know whatnot. So I just think that that it's interesting to see how you could be practicing sort of the same, the same denomination and just geographically where you are, sort of the experience can be a little bit different. In the town that I grew up in, we, I saw gay people, but I just, it was just not something that we, we discussed. I don't know if it was purposefully Mm. or, you know, it just wasn't like, Oh, let's have a conversation about this, you know? So that's how that happened. Use the word gay people at that age, even so today, like as my feelings and my creativity emerges and, and I and I look at other people and how they're expressing their life, their creativity, their love, were there things that you kind of looked at 
with with people you're like oh maybe maybe i'm gay or or maybe i'm i'm not this i'm not that but that kind of looks like how i'm feeling was was there anything like that that has that continued as you've grown um i i feel like growing up it's it's just this high level of confusion because you're trying to you you trying to navigate who you are this heightened awareness oh that i'm a person then it's a heightened awareness mm-hmm. of like Oh, why that I I like I'm attracted to the to the person who looks like me. Then it's like mm-hmm. okay. Then there's this heightened awareness. Oh, it has a definition. Then it's like okay. Mm-hmm. Now this heightened awareness. Now people are saying how you are going to go to hell for for that. So then it's like how do you know? Like how is this a guarantee? Like who are these humans that are saying you're gonna that you're gonna go to this place of to- in total damnation? you know, where you're going to burn in hell, you know, it's just like they're trying to create these, you know, extreme visions, you know, on humans because of, uh, for, for a form of control, because that's really what it is. It's really people mm-hmm. are trying to control the type of individuals that are around them. And if they can, you know, give them a negative perspective of it to prevent maybe them having to hang around them because of their own insecurities or their own lack of comfortability, um, I just noticed that what we're taught is not what it is. And I didn't learn that until like later on in life. Were there people in your life with like a grandparent or anyone that, uh, that was someone that you felt like that you could lean into um, that was able to kind of be there for you in your teenage years and children, you know, child years? Um, yeah, I do believe my grandmother and my and one of and my aunts that were there. I looked at them like second and third mothers. Um, so I do feel like I had you know an outlet if I felt like I needed one. But mm-hmm. in, during my childhood, I really was just trying to just be loved and appreciated for my existence. So, like mm-hmm. I said, me being you know embracing you know this form of expression um, and sexuality really wasn't like a priority to me because I was mm-hmm. a, kind of a loner. Yeah. The- After high school, you get involved with the Navy. Is that correct? Yes. So thank you for your service, first of all. And can we talk about like what that, what, what uh, compelled you to, to join the Navy? When I was like 13 years old was around the time that my mother had like made contact with my grandmother in Texas. And so throughout the, throughout those years, um, I would go spend like a holiday maybe with my mother or whatnot. Well, after I graduated high school, I went to go live with my, with my mother for a while in Moreno Valley, California. And at that time I was working like two or three, I think two or three jobs. Um, and I was staying in her home and she literally only had a th- what, three bedroom home, but she also had like her sister and her five kids staying there on top of me mm-hmm. and my sister and her husband and two dogs. So it was a house full, it was like literally a house full of nine people in a three bedroom house, you know? Mm-hmm. And so one day I just was like walking down the street with my cousin and the Marine recruiter uh, happened to just come by and like give us his card to um, to ask us if we we're willing to come down and like talk to them. And I was like, well, I'm of, of age, so I'll come. So I went down, talked to the recruiter at the Marine um, at the Marines uh, recruiting station. And so I knew purposefully that the Marines, you know, a lot of their jobs require you to hold weapons. And so that's, Mm. that wasn't the route that I really wanted to go. So I ended up joint. So I ended up 
going over to the Navy side at the following day because it was happened to be next door and just, you know, inquired about, you know, what it would take to join the military. And so they were able to, after I took the exam, I was able to see that I was, I was a good fit to be a hospital corpsman. And so I joined, did, took the test and, and joined like a year later because I signed up in February. And then I was like, well, I want to at least try to spend as much time with my family as I can before I leave. So I ended up leaving in November of 2003 to boot camp hmm. in Great Lakes, Illinois. Oh, you went to Great Lakes. Okay. Yeah. Mm. That's where I, not where I'm from, but not far from there. Mm-hmm. It was cold. It was snowing when we went. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> right there by the lake. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then after uh, you finished boot camp, where all did that take you in your journeys? So I was stationed in Great Lakes, Illinois, and then I went to a, an initial school, which was medical lab tech school in San Diego. And so mm-hmm. with San Diego, I was three months into the program where I was just like, okay, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. So I just Mm. requested for new orders. Um, And so because basically I was like considered already like on the shore because of school, they were like, you're going to have to go to a ship or to a land-based port. So then that's when I got orders to a ship called the USS Cleveland, um, which is an LPD-7. It's it's called Landing Transport Dock. So we transport cargo, mail, and Marines. Um, Yeah, we went on a seven-month deployment. Um, which started in Hawaii. From San Diego, we went to Hawaii, went to Australia, Greece, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Dubai, and back to Hawaii. What was that experience like traveling, you know, outside of the U.S.? Did that shape any thoughts or did it elevate any things like you were able to observe? I did enjoy being, going out to sea. That was something that was probably different through my different than my counterparts because I enjoyed being. It's so it was so peaceful when you're going outside on you know just watching endless miles of the ocean. I find that I wasn't that connected to my family to where I was like, oh my god, I'm missing my family so much that this is like going. I'm going crazy. Mm-hmm. I just enjoyed it. I enjoyed being away, and I just it was just very like invigorating to be on my own. Um, because I knew that it was a choice that mm-hmm. I made and I knew that I was building something for myself. And so, I mean, things were okay for the most part, but then it, at the beginning, but the thing about the military is that because I have an effeminate personality that it didn't yield me to have like a, a, a great experience, you know, to say the least. And so you can sense how when people are not about your life, that's, you know, energy mm. is energy mm. is real. And there was a lot of individuals there that, that weren't about my life. And so that made it somewhat difficult at times, but I made it through. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was still like, don't ask, don't tell. Correct. Times. So, so mm-hmm. with that, yeah. with don't ask, don't tell, it also, it yielded two things. One, I couldn't say anything even if I wanted to. And then two, if it also leads you know, people to be able to ridicule you and do all these things to you without you being able to say anything. Because it's like, oh, if somebody calls you gay, so to speak, then or then it's like, and you're not, it's like, oh, you can't do it. Like if they could use the F word, you know, 
yeah. that we all know. And it's just like, well, if you're not gay, then you shouldn't have a problem with it. It was just meant because it's a high, it was a majority a, a male ship. So of course they want to throw it up to being, oh, it's just, you know, the way guys play around, they just call each other, you know, these names and, you know, they're just joking. So, you know, if you take, and so you just couldn't do anything, you know, honestly. And so that could be very disheartening because it's just like, it's almost like a child wanting to, to like, tell on tell on somebody but you can't right it's that seems like in some ways i mean that wasn't i didn't i was not in the service with you i just can't believe like it wasn't that long ago you know in some ways right and uh Mm -hmm. the fact of being able not to to speak of 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 who you are And, and i know that there are people every day that still that part of them that that it's not safe for them or they're not you know it's prohibited to say things of, of just who you are as, as a being like you, you use the word humans a lot which i is really um in the short time we've known each other has actually like i feel it on my chest when you say it when you talk about these humans and about bringing dignity to people and um, allowing people to speak and listen to what they say and i'm just grateful that to be alive in a time today where people can speak we've got a long ways to go but it, it's also an exciting time to be alive and, and to be part of of what's becoming so after you after you get out of, uh, I actually we don't to, to be fair we don't really know each other that well so I don't I don't want to assume anything about your story so eventually you get out of the service we, we assume I get out of the service because I couldn't I couldn't mentally take like being in the military and mm-hmm. so there was other things that led up to that but it just didn't yield me to be in there further so I immediately once I got out I immediately was staying with a friend and so I started my unemployment and I enrolled in school um, and so with that I was going to fashion school just at a regular college like LA like city college and I didn't have a place to stay so I was just like staying on a girlfriend's floor you know trying to just like make do with that um, but in that process as well I literally was like doing the most. Like I was always out in the streets, partying, drinking, like just living life to like whatever I see fit because I was just, I was just out of the military, you know? So I was like really just partying a lot and not really taking heed to like the new responsibilities that I needed to take because I really wasn't like doing that well in school. Um, And it probably because I didn't really want to go and I just wanted to enjoy Mm. life. But it, it literally, I was only there for a few years, like going to going to fashion school, like passing some classes, not passing some other classes, just trying to like make do with like sense of like living in uh, San Diego and like on my own and not having somewhere to go um, consistently. Like I was always moving. I was like one of those people that was always moving because mm-hmm. either like living arrangement didn't work out. Like maybe I wasn't trying to like, pay the rent or something. I just wasn't in a right head space to literally be on my own, but I was trying to make do with it because I always told myself that I didn't want to go back to Texas. So I was always, no matter if I didn't have a job or not, I was mm-hmm. always trying to do everything I could to to not go back. The, so the thing is, when I was in um, City College Fashion School, that was also when I had found out that my, um, my benefits, my my school benefits from the military had kicked in because they didn't kick in right away when I got out. And so I immediately enrolled in the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising, um, and which was uh, a fashion school in San Diego. And so that 
I was really excited to go to that school and it was like really fun. It was exciting. But also I was still just part of the party life. You know, I was literally showing up to school with work late, you know, you know, having these meltdowns about like, oh my God, there's stuff due today. And then I'm crying, you know, when it's like, they just gave me the homework, you know, and I just wasn't in the right headspace. You know, I, I was just not, just not. And I don't think I was in the right headspace for a very long time, you know, after that, you know, because I was always battling some form of substance substance abuse. I was always moving because I wasn't able to take care of my responsibilities so that I could even be there on top of, you know, feeling like nobody wants me. I'm feeling like rejected from the community because mm-hmm. being in the community, of course, that was when it was also when I was, you know, being a part of the community was also like where it's like my skin tone wasn't, you know, that inviting to 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 create these relationships. Mm-hmm. My skin tone or my feminism that my how mm-hmm. feminine I was didn't yield to be an, something attract an attractive quality of mine. It it prevented me from having like these real meaningful relationships that I was like looking to have, but eventually, so that's why most of my life has been like kind of casual. Fashion school yielded me a lot of opportunities um, because I had, I I spent the first year in fashion school in, in Los Angeles, not in Los Angeles, in San Diego. But then I had to finish my year um, in in Los Angeles, finish my, my second year of Mm. fashion school in Los Angeles. So that's how I got to LA. And so, yes. Mm -hmm. So you were saying, you know, through some of that process, you were saying that, you know, part of your, that experience, you were sort of moving around, like you're always kind of like, you know, moving from place to place and not really having like a stable, you know, space to, to be in. And I think obviously, you know, we're going to talk about the work that you do today and what you're working towards now, but it's like the importance of having stability you know you could have like school you could have your job you could have these things but there's something that happens when you have a home to come to day in day out and it's a safe space you know for you and a safe space to be and i think you know um i know myself there were times where i didn't have my own place in my adulthood and the chaos or the confusion or the frustration you know that that creates for you is um, it's just something that it's important to remember like you know as we're walking through this conversation and and talking through your story is like it is so important to have that space to be able to come to, to come to that sacred space where you can feel safe where you can put your head down on the pillow at night and and be able to relax and let your mind relax and let your body you know relax so I I can I, I almost felt as you were, you know, walking us through that part of your life, I could almost feel some of that like anxiety where it's like y- you could try to put it into school, you could try to put it into a social life, but like if you don't have that that stable, you know, space to come back to, it really it makes it hard for you to really, you know, focus on anything else. I like for myself, I know that in my like mid 20s somewhere, I didn't have my own I was I was sort of doing the same thing, staying with different people and kind of living, you know, back and forth in different places. And there's just sort of this like uneasiness that comes with that in your headspace. No, I agree with you. I think that what a lot of people don't really seem to realize is that having a safe space to 
to call your home is not easy to come by for a lot of people, a lot of humans, especially the ones that are in our community. It's just it's just a reality because a lot of these humans that we're helping are people who were shunned out by their friends, their family, uh, not able to get a job, not even giving like somewhat of any type of resources for them to even try to thrive. So it's like when you're on the streets, mm-hmm. it's like, how can you be motivated in an environment that is full of, like you say, full of chaos? You know, it's like usually like yeah. people talking and being outside in the cars and, and it's just like... I mean, it's just the list goes on and on on top of possibly like having like substance abuse. Then it's like, okay, how do I cope with the craziness? I'm coping with the drugs. But then then you're like, how do I cope with doing all these drugs? Then it's just like it's just a never ending cycle. Right. And and, right. and I think for to just to give some insight and, and I'm happy to hear I can only give my personal insight from myself and happy to hear what you have to say about this as well is that I know I've had family and friends that have from the outside not been able to understand. And what I can explain to them is, is that like for myself, like my internalized homophobia, things I have been taught for, for my youth, how I despise my own, I despise myself and that pain that I had. Um, I tried to change myself at no avail. I, I couldn't, part of, you can't change my actual being, right? At least that was what I learned. And so by using, so, so what did I find? I, I found substance. It, it, it made that, it gave me that respite, right? And, and honestly, like in some ways, I tell people that, that in some ways, drugs and alcohol saved my life and in a couple of different ways. And that was because if I didn't have those drugs now, if I didn't have those substances, I, I, I don't know if I would have killed myself or where I would have ended up in. I needed some, I was just in too much pain. But then my, my friend, the substance turned on me in the end, right? And then, then so goes this insane cycle of I couldn't get off the ride. Um, and people be like, you know, why, you know, why does that kid have such bad luck? Well, it's because he's sick. You know, for, for me, like I, I, my heart was sick. I, I needed love. I needed, I needed help to stop that cycle. And I'm just curious for, for yourself, like what helped break that cycle for, for, for you? I mean, it like, it transcended. Like it used to just be just like party drugs, where it's just like a little ecstasy here and there, a little cocaine here and there, and just drinking alcohol, just, you know, maybe have an occasional blackout just that, you know, because you took too many shots, you know, but then it went into me doing meth. And then that mm. in itself mm. was just like, oh God, like I had for a long time, I was very much like, oh my God, I would never do it. And then somehow I don't even remember the first time I did it. And so then it became mm. to where I'm like a functional addict. And I think most of the world is functional addicts, uh, honestly, because I've, it's just easy either you allow it to affect your job and your work and your life, or you do it recreationally just for your own added pleasure. And I found that when it transcended into me not, you know, adhering to some of my responsibilities, that that's when I knew that it was a, a problem. So I always talked talked it over with the with the VA, with my VA counselor. Um, so I did. I've done like inpatient treat, not inpatient, outpatient treatment before a couple of times um, to try to like stop on my own. And so there was a point to where I felt like, oh my god, I really need to go into inpatient treatment. But I chose not to go to inpatient treatment because I felt that it was going to like alarm people. Because whenever somebody goes into rehab, it it puts this target on their back where it's like, okay, now we got to watch out for this. We got to watch out around them. And I didn't want people to, I didn't want people to like start doing, you know, behaving differently um, around me. 
And that's, I didn't want that because at the end of the day, I don't want that. I don't need, I'm not looking for special accommodations in that regard. Do you boo? I need to have self-control. That's what it's about. It's mm. about me m- taking heed to what it is my needs are because I, I thrive off of community. I don't want you to not come around me because you may want to still drink alcohol. Mm. I have to have self-control because that's what it's about. And that's what I also like mm. told myself too, that no matter how many times I may go to rehab, it's the real work happens outside, you know? And mm. um, I just, mm. I just could not afford. I was also, and I'm also a person who loves, who's always trying to control the narrative you know, my own self narrative. So I just, I just did not, I wanted, I just wanted to fight it. I wanted to fight it on my own because I knew that the fight was with me. I knew Mm -hmm. that it had everything to do with like me not feeling loved for my family or not feeling enough love from my father and my mother. Like for years I would think like, how can, you know, two people come together, have a child and then not have anything to do with them. That's what was going on. And that's what was going on in my head. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't wrap my head around that these are our parents are humans as well who are going through their own problems, who's trying to navigate their own life. So it's like I can't be I can't put these expectations on somebody if if even if they are a parent. You know, I feel like there must come to a point to where you just have to let people be who they are, and then either if, if they're going to be around you and be respectful or. You can just distance yourself from them and continue to move on with your life. You you do move on with your life. You've you've had a journey, and you don't really box yourself into you. You're a human being. Your spirit is evolving here on this earth. And th- there was a while where um, you started um, transitioning. Is that correct? Yes. So back in two thousand and I believe two thousand and fifteen, I was talking to my my therapist, and I was telling him how I felt like I was suppressing female energy. Um, and so he was like, well, let's, let's explore that. Um, and I was like, but I feel like I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. Uh, and so he was like, well, let's explore. What, do, what, do, what, what, do, what would you like to do? I'm so sorry. Please hold. I'm, I think it, oh, it's okay. I've, I've, I have a feeling they'll leave a message and they're not humans that I know it's an, un, it's an, it's an, just, I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Um, so I'm, you know, we're trying to multitask and just hope that, you know, everything is, is going okay for everybody. Yes, I was talking to my therapist and I was saying to him how I am suppressed. I feel like I'm suppressing female energy. And with that, we wanted to explore options of like, how can we explore this? So I knew that drag was something really big in the community. And I had drag queens as friends and I would go to drag shows. So I created my own drag persona. And so, but most of my drag was considered pedestrian drag. So it's like looking like just a normal human, like mm. in, in society. But little did they know that before I was given hormones, I was needing to express the gender of my choice um, for like a year before they gave me hormones. And so that's what the, the military's rule, the, like the VA's rule was. Maybe that's not the rules that they do outside for civilians, but that's what they wanted. I think that's usually what they want because they want to make sure that this, what you're doing is exactly what you want to do. So I was able to explore my drag, so to speak, and explore my transness through that. And it was, it was very, it was an experience because then I witnessed like people misgendering me when I found out what that meant. But then I also uh, was able to like 
understand more what trans meant. And in, in that time, I didn't even know what non-binary meant. I just recently just figured out what non-binary meant. And so um, along my trans experience, I've just learned a lot about myself and just like how people are in society. No matter how passable I may be, people tend to look at you the way that they see you, regardless of how you express yourself. And so it's like, mm. like you can dress, like some people say you can dress a pig up, but it's still a pig. And so to others, they may not see the, the type of humans that we are because they're so, they're so focused on maybe the, what they want to see and not what it is. Mm -hmm. you know. So it's very much like, mm. oh, I see a man dressed up in a girl clothes, in girl clothes, but it's not that. It's beyond that. But we find that we live in a world where, of course, now we're more, a lot more advanced than we were years ago. But I think it's important for people to, to just allow people to be humans and be themselves. Um, and if you come across mm -hmm. people that that you're unsure of how they identify, ask or but don't assume and don't like create negative energy that's emitted. People tend to emit negative energy towards others, and and that is real. A lot. Some people. We're a lot of us are very very sensitive and sensitive to these energies, and we can sense when someone is like. You know, mm. it's like it's heightened awareness, almost like a you know a wolf in the in the wild. Yeah. When they can sense danger around, they can smell it, and it's and it's. I, I feel like that's like a similar experience. Mm. Like for me, like you can almost f feel when people are staring at you. You know, like you know, we can all feel that. You know, it's like one of those experiences. Yeah. So it, it keeps. So it kept me like on alert. Like I'm always, and also insecure because I'm like, oh, anytime anybody's whispering around me, I'm thinking like, oh, they're talking, they must be talking about me, you know? And so, and even if they're not, mm -hmm. and so it was hard to, to maybe to navigate my life and not think that people are looking and talking about me. Um, of course, now I'm not like that, but now I think very positive to positively whenever people are looking at me, if I'm, if I'm expressing something that's extravagant and grand, that's eye-catching, then I, I think that, oh, maybe they're just admiring my look and that's what it is and not that, oh, they're, they're whispering something. And mind you, they probably are anyways, but I don't really, I don't really think about it these days now. Yeah, it's you, the way that you're perceiving what's happening outside in the world. It really just then, you know, just by shifting your the way that you're thinking or the way that you what you what you might expect those people to be saying by getting rid of those expectations, by getting rid of those judgments, by getting rid of those thoughts, you're focusing the way that you're seeing it. It then sort of you know positively reflects on your own self so that you're not going down that dark road. You're not going down that, that rabbit hole. Cause really that has nothing to do with you anyway. That's their, that's their thing. That's their, I don't want to say problem, but that's their interpretation and maybe their own insecurities. So it really has nothing to do with you. And I, you know, and I think in so many different ways by shifting that mentality being able to say, you know, receiving information and sort of staying in that positive mind frame, it really just sort of reshapes your entire world. Right now, I'm I'm actually in a creative workshop class that meets once a week. And one of the things that we've been working through is, you know, working on receiving information from the world and how you can either go to this sort of negative voice or you can go to this positive voice. And if you can turn that that negative into a positive regardless of whatever the truth is or whatever, 
I have control of, the only thing I have control of in any situation is my thoughts, right? And my way to react. So if I'm able to do that, then my reaction stays in the positive, which keeps me positive, which then that's what I'm re-emitting back into the world. And then that's what I'm going to attract back. So it's not easy and it definitely takes practice to do. But once you start doing it, I feel like it almost comes natural to just sort of like express, you know, your thoughts in that way. Right. I agree. I agree completely. I remember when I was struggling with what I was struggling with, I literally was always thinking, oh, this is going to be my life. I can't shake this. I can't shake this. Mm -hmm. And I was always thinking like, oh, oh, woe is me. Like I I deserve all of this and all of these things. Mm -hmm. I was just speaking just highly negative of myself and my situation. But then I kept reading things where it says, if you shift your mind, you shift your world. And so- I literally have just shifted my world into a very positive perspective. I meditate a lot. I listen to a lot of wealth and Mm. abundance meditations where they like, it tells me like over and over that people want to give me money. They want to help me like that. I am an amazing human and that I am deserving of, of greatness. Like these are things that these positive affirmations that I have to tell myself every day um, just to continue to build a a strong uh, foundation, spiritual foundation for myself because when we go outside of our those walls of our home the world is cruel and the world is misunderstanding of you they mm-hmm. are going to be disrespectful of you there there's so many things that the world will do and it's 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 so many mixed mixed things it's you know there's years and years of of brainwashing um from the church from other like groups and organizations to where they 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 look at you know us as hum us humans are like just outside of the normal like anybody who doesn't really identify as like a cis normative you know individual i feel like they look down upon us they you know they think that we're less than um and so you can only imagine what that would feel like for a person like me who's already feels like oh i'm already considered less than because of my skin tone then because i'm an effeminate man then it's like okay then it's a list then now i'm turning then i'm a trans woman you know so it's like the list goes on and on you know and so for me like now as i say that i'm the embodiment of everything that is how i identify as a non-binary human you know somebody whom my expression can fluctuate from female to male at any given moment in a drop of a hat. And I feel extremely comfortable with that because being able to have that fluctuation gives me freedom. Um, I felt like if I was to do, Mm. if I was to only express male, I felt like then I would be suppressing my female side. And if I was the only, like say if I was Mm. to transition into a, as a physical woman, then I felt like, Oh, once I do that, then now I'm committing to doing that. Um, committing to to only expressing female, and I just could not wrap my head about. I just wasn't. I wasn't sold on the idea that this is that that's what I was supposed to do. Like for me, I feel like transgendered mm. women are these are women. You know, I feel like every transgendered woman is a woman. You know, at at the core. And then for me, yeah. nothing will take away my my me being female. Nothing will take take away me being male in my eyes. On about, my, I'm only speaking about myself. Is that like I can wear you know a breastplate and wigs and makeup, and that doesn't necessarily make me feel less of a man. Um, and, in, and me expressing mm. only having male expression doesn't make me less of a woman. You know, so it's like there's an even balance of 
of both sexes, you know, and with, and then I know that my ethnic background is like a plethora of things. So I'm the embodiment of other things as well. So mm-hmm. it's like, I just don't look at myself as just one thing, you know? And so I think that's just what has allowed me to have this level of stability and within myself spiritually. I really appreciate you explaining that because it's, you really helped me to understand you, my non-binary friends, my transgender friends, you help me feel like I can dream and do all the things that I, that I, that, that feel God given to me, that the universe, I feel like, like there's something that the universe invites me to do, whether it's like play, live, that I don't have to say, oh no, that's not masculine or, you know, that, that, that in anything like having a hard time giving an example, like for me, it's gardening. I love to garden. And, uh, you, you know, here in LA, I don't necessarily, there's a, our, where we live, there's like a little area out front in front of the building that I don't own per se, but I, I go out there like today, I went out there and I just spent time out there and I, I had my headphones on. I didn't care. Like people didn't know if I was homeless because there's, you know, whether I was homeless, whether I worked there, who I was the, and and I just didn't care. Like I didn't care. Like I was down on my knees. I was done. Just, but I was just what I needed to be doing. What, what God calls me, what the spirit calls me to enter it into, to put my hands into. And and I thought so just as, as someone who identifies as a cisgendered gay male is that I think about like how much I have enjoyed drag, um, how many trans friends when I, before I had come out, when I would go to the bars that were the safe people in my life that took the looked out for me. And, and a lot of times you talked about being like in that breast, that breastplate, like wearing that around. And also you talked about like being in day drag or common drag, like walking around versus you didn't use it, but in my mind I, versus performance drag is where I went to in my head. And, and I think about like for thousands of years on the stage, it's been okay. Right. Like it's been, mm. whether you're like in the eighties or seventies in a rock and roll band, it was, it was okay. We didn't question it, but you didn't see like Gene Simmons. And when he got off the stage, then walking around like LA and in, in his attire. And for some reason, and like also even like in, in some of the gay bars, like where it was okay when, when the drag queen was up on stage, but then like to come in, unless you're performing, it's like, well, wait a minute. Like there's, there can still be like that toxic masculinity that creeps into, into our societies and yeah right and and so it, sorry go ahead no i'm just agreeing with you i find that um the toxic masculinity has just still it's still there but i feel like mm-hmm. we are definitely moving in a in a positive um projection when it comes to the community and how important it is to help our counterparts yeah and and seeing and hearing how that you realize for yourself that being non-binary being able to whatever you feel at the moment empowered to represent where you, where you are, where you are in that moment. I, I didn't understand non-binary, probably about a year ago, honestly, I did not understand non-binary. And that's why I really appreciate you explaining how you get you where you're at. Because to me, it just makes, it makes perfect sense now. So thank you for that. And also, I think it, at the same time, I feel like I give myself permission to be more of who I, I am. So it's, it's important. I think that's why I do the work that I do, because I am these humans. Um, I feel like there are a lot of cisgendered gay individuals that want to help the trans community. I feel like there's a lot of trans individuals that want the resources. So I kind of look at myself as like a liaison between the two, where it's like, I know y'all want to help. So give me the resources. And I know that y'all want the help. So let me help you. And let me bring yeah. it together because there's some, some cisgendered individuals who may not feel comfortable enough to feel confident enough to go into the you know homeless trans community and and speak to them. 
you know, and the, the homeless trans community may be super reluctant to having somebody that they don't know come into their world and, and offer quote unquote help. They're like, what they, what do you get out the deal? So I, I find that because I am them and I express something that they are relatable to that it, it lets their guard down. And so that's how I came into the work that I'm doing now. And so I just knew that I wanted to do more. Let's talk about experiencing faith. This is a great, great time to start talking about the work you're doing now. The organization is going to be called Helping Faith. And so, and faith stands for facilitating access into transformative housing. It's not active in the, um, and it's not recognized by the IRS just yet. It, it probably will be in about 30 days. Then we would be official for Helping Faith. And I just want to repeat that again, that FAITH stands for Facilitating Access into Transformative Housing. So it's a supportive services organization that will offer transportation, housing, food, as well as mental health and case management services to uh, said individuals um, from our community. And so where we're at... That is the partic- That is what we're working on currently. Um, so, and I'm super excited to be able to have, de- like, I'm developing a team as we speak, um, so that we could provide these services to the humans of our community. It started back in September after I had um, started my first GoFundMe page. Um, it was to raise money for a um, a medical device to like life alert, but in a bracelet form so that some of our queer individuals can, can get services faster. And so from then on, I, my second fundraiser was to help house Bree and Brian get off the streets, which is a, a black trans woman and her brother. They both were in the foster care system through all their lives. But the reason why I even found them is because I started a program called Comforting the Community, which is an Amazon wish list that I created and people would buy the items and they would come to my house um, and then I would put these kits together and I would deliver them. And so when I would deliver them, I would always ask, oh, do you know where any of the girls are? are? Um, when, where, um, if Do you know where in other places? Are there girls in other places? And which we knew they were. Um, and so they would like direct me to these other encampments. And so when I went to one of the encampments, I had, that's when I found Bree and Brian, felt compelled to want to know their story. And then that's when I started fundraising to get them housed up. And so we raised $10,000, like eighty, like $9,000, over $10,000 is how much we got. Um, and so in that process, we've been able to keep them housed up until January, from January 19th until now. But in that process, we also had purchased them an RV. And so behind the scenes, it's been very difficult because the, 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 next, the next phase of the RV didn't go as planned. So which causes us to have to do like work behind the scenes to try to like fix that situation. And so with that, of course, I feel completely obligated to, to do everything in my power to still house these humans because I, I vowed to them that I would never forsake them. So I would make sure that anything I could do to make sure that they never went back out there. And so we've managed to do that. And so it's it's a blessing that we are in this place today that coincidentally, the day of doing this podcast, they actually, Bree and Brian and another young lady, that um, another trans woman that we've been helping, just signed the paperwork for the landlord so that they can be, so they can move in on April 1st. So that is like the most, the biggest news that one can get today. So I'm like, Super excited because, yeah, because it's pretty cool. 
two days ago, I got a contact information from somebody who was from a pilot program that they offer for people that are in GR. And so they were telling me that they have seven facilities, basically beds. And so it'd be two per room. And I was like, well, if you have the beds, I have the humans um, to go in there. And so Mm. now this week, what's going to be happening is that I'm going to be making sure that these humans have GR. Then we then we can continue to the next phase, which is connecting them with, excuse me, with the um, the person in charge. We take them to go and look at the house. I mean, the apartment. If they like it, then they fill out the paperwork um, and they submit it to their worker. And then in 30 days, they will be able to move in. And so that's really what's really beautiful about this particular situation. It's just it's just a blessings from the higher source. Um, and so I think that it's just that I'm in the right place. I'm out there networking. I'm out there just getting the resources the best way that I can. There is no rhyme or reason to give instant help to people, you know, because a lot of things in the system, it takes a long time. It's like, oh, you know, for you to get a, a voucher, then they like some of them have to go all the way to Long Beach. And then for that particular hotel voucher, it's so many like stipulations, like they have to be in the hotel by themselves. And if they're caught with anybody in there, then they'll kick them out, you know, and then like the police that that maybe like used to check their belongings or or are being a little too aggressive and not treating them with dignity. And so those are just some of the challenges Mm -hmm. that that particular hotel um, presented to our humans. And I knew that as I met other girls, they would say that they would go to other centers and not feel like the place is welcoming to trans people. You know, so it's like I have a whole vision, you know, to where I'm going to create an environment that is a safe and welcoming space for trans queer individuals. And this is just the beginning. We'll have a nonprofit. Eventually, we will have a a women's clinic that is just specifically for trans men and trans women. Eventually, we would have like other other opportunities for job placement, opportunities for empowerment, opportunities for for growth and health and and to facilitate health and wellness. And that's really why I'm I'm doing what I'm what I need to do. Yeah, and and this is to anyone listening. This is like you've you said earlier. This is a human problem, and and we yeah. need help from other humans because, unfortunately, um, and homelessness is, is 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 never is never good. But the LGBTQI population um, is anywhere statistically from fifteen to forty percent of the homeless population, and and that is because of, of it's not safe for some of these people in their homes. Uh, they experience abuse. Rape is is extremely high. Unfortunately, there's a there's a word that is called like corrective rape that is a horrible thing that, that you would never even believe. Like I had never even heard of. So I started doing research on this. Where like youth experience sexual advances from family members because they want to. God only knows what they're trying to do, but it's a real problem. And and, and it's and it's we need more than just trans individuals. We need more than queer people. We need, as a human population, we need to come together and, and provide love, housing, and, and, and hope for these people. And, and you are in a unique situation where you're qualified to really help foster that work and, and, and help other people to be part of this process with you. And so we're really, really grateful for what you're doing and in your vision. And I just really want to celebrate the win that you've had today and that, you know, that you've had patience. You've had to be patient through this process, but also that there are ways to make this so it doesn't have to take this long. With with that being said, um, what are your needs today that are like we know that there's some things you're working on setting up, but for people that are listening, what's a call to action that they can do today to directly help you? So a way that individuals can help directly is following me on my Instagram, which is Rise of Faith. 
And in there's a link in my bio to the GoFundMe page that we have. Um, but also on my page is on my bio. It also lists the um, other like money transfer apps that if anybody wants to donate that way, if it seems like they would pay less fees or they can immediately help. Um, because I know that at least with the three humans that we have now who just signed paperwork to go into in a, in a house next month, I have to keep them housed for the next 30 days. And so any any small donation, I think, as a, uh, as a collective makes a huge difference. You know, it's like every little bit counts. And I just I just feel very hopeful. I feel very hopeful in the, in, in the humans that are out there that are listening. I believe in you and just know that, you know, any small kindness, small act of kindness does make a huge difference in the lives of the humans that we're helping because it's really difficult and it's tough out here to do this by myself. But I know that I've I have the support of of a lot of humans from around the world that have supported the Comforting the Community Project, that have been supporting um, the fundraisers that I've already done. I feel very confident that we're going to be continuing to be on this road together, especially as we, you know, open helping faith into something that we already can see that it's going to be something major and amazing. Um, and so I'm just extremely grateful to even have that opportunity to be here right now um, and to just be utilized on someone else's platform because you never know who's listening. You know, for, for those out there that have access to to housing, you know, buy apartment complexes and donate a house, maybe donate a 15 passenger van or a donate gift cards. Like these are the things that these humans need. They need solar power chargers. They need to be able to have access to uh, their electronics, you know, like cell phones. And, you know, if you work for a cell phone provider, like these humans need good working phones. You know, if you have clothing vouchers, these humans need new clothes so they can get ready for job placement you know, empowerment. If you are somebody who can empower others, like, you know, you want to do empowering exercises or you want to collaborate on how we can um, help build up a person's resilience that they that we all have. Like building resiliency is something that, you know, a lot of these, hum- like resiliency is something that a lot of these humans have because they've been through so much trauma, whether it's sexual, verbal, or mental abuse, they're, they're, obviously they're showing a level of resilience because they're making it here to where they are today. And so a lot of humans just need that extra push. They need somebody in their corner that is telling them that they love them, that they care about them, that they're made distinctively, purposefully, and for a reason. You know, a lot of us are um, being punished for the, you know, from our past ancestors. So it's, we're all were chosen. We were all chosen for this life. Now, what happens while we're here, you know, and how we respond to these things is up to us, you know? And I also find that, you know, for those that are like into Jesus and not into Jesus, this is just something that I hold dear to is that Jesus was crucified. So I feel like none of us are exempt from the crazy that people can give us. That doesn't mean that we're deserving of it, but we also have to figure out, we have to understand that when we're given negative energy, whether it's someone is like trying to dis, um, misgender us, the, sometimes people are just just ignorant or they just, are, they're just uninformed. So you want to come from a place of empathy and then come from a place of understanding that people just don't understand us. You know, and it's not always for them to understand us, but they should at least respect us um, and also be able to give you know, humans that have less than an opportunity. That's all they're asking for. 
is for somebody to genuinely love and appreciate their existence and help them along the way. Yeah. You know, you said this earlier, um, when someone, when it comes to misgendering people or not knowing, like if you're not sure of what someone's gender is, it's like, just like you said, just ask. And I think part of that is, is knowing that it's okay because this is a time, you know, this time in the world, this is where we need to be having those conversations. And I think because, you know, we've come to this point now where, you know, things are more progressive and more, you know, are different than they were even five years ago. But it's it's important to not just like shove it under the rug and, you know, make a mistake and or not say anything. It's really important just to have that like that connect with someone and do it from a place of love and do it with respect and kindness and, and being genuine. And if you make a mistake, it's not malicious then. It's just more of a, a learning lesson on your end and that you're not going to make that mistake the next time. And you know, and I, you look at like other movements and other ways that we've sort of progressed. It's like that kind of stuff that's, that's had to happen in the past. So it's, it's just important. I remind myself, I remind, you know, other people like different conversations that we've had on the show. It's that sometimes, sometimes we do make mistakes and it's okay as long as you're doing it with love and, and respect, not coming from that sort of ignorant or like negative, you know, side where you don't want to know or you don't want to, you know, be respectful of that. I agree completely. I think that it's really important for me to um, just help be the voice of those that can't speak, be use my platform for the opportunity that it was given to me. And I am doing that and it's going to continue to do that. I'm going to continue to amplify my own voice and continue to be that liaison for those humans because It can be very difficult to be able to be like, give me a job, I, but look at me, I look like this, you know, where it's like, but well, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you to clothes, girl, don't worry about it. I'm going to get you to clothes. I'm going to get you to cell phone. I'm going to get you to food so that you can, because people don't understand like the smallest thing, like food, nutrition, not being able to eat when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're having, when you haven't eaten your stomach starts to hurt really, really bad. Oh. Um, and it causes you to it goes in, I, I consider it as um, an equivalent to being suffocated, where it's like, oh my God, what can I do? Now you're going into fight or flight mode. Do I just go and steal because I want to eat? Because I'm out here asking. I ask, I ask, I ask, and people still tell you no. I know what it's like to be out there and need money and you ask people for it and then they're just like, no, I don't have it. Go get a job. It's like, girl, getting a job is not that easy. You know, it's just like, just... Right. And then a lot of people tend to want to be like, oh, I'm not going to, I don't give the homeless any money because I think they're going to spend it on drugs. Well, that's not for us to decide. You know, honestly, for you to, if you've given it, if you've, if you've given the money to somebody out of the kindness of your heart and, and that you can't really dictate how they, use, what they do with it, you know, you'll still, you still will be blessed right. for what you did. But at the same time, it's mm-hmm. like, do I not give them money because you want them to go and eat? Like hopefully they will go spend some of it to go and eat, you know, and some people need drugs to survive just to get by. They need alcohol to survive because they've been drinking so much that their body is like so accustomed to it. I mean, as long as you're not going by the drugs and alcohol for them, you're, you're, you're still facilitating the help that they're asking for, you know? And I think that that's what I think that people should also get in the habit of just helping, you know, cause you never know how much you can yeah, change yeah. a person's life with your small act of kindness. Yeah, you know what you're doing is 
with the people that you're working with is that you are showing them love. You're showing them compassion. You're showing them that there's someone who cares about them and for their well-being and wants them to succeed. And I think, you know, there's times in, you know, I even know like in my own life, you know, where if I feel like I don't have maybe somebody who I can be, if I'm trying to do something or to be, you know, quote unquote successful or to, you know, do something, the the wins sometimes don't mean anything if you don't have anybody to share those those wins with and if you're you're giving them the people that you're working with you give them that sense of accountability to somebody else that then that's that that fire that sparks inside you that then wants you to 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 do good to to be like to it's almost like if you're giving them that love and and you know the cell phone the clothes the the help to get the job it's like when they get that win you're the first phone call and in in having that first phone call that gives you that fire to want to you know to do better for yourself and also for the people around you and then to give back you know it kind of it creates this sort of full circle moment so the work that you're doing is just it's absolutely incredible. And it's like you said, it's just, it's, it's so needed because it's, and it's so simple. It's just showing kindness to the people who are, that you encounter that maybe just don't have what you have. It, it is very, very, very important. Um, and I find that, you know, there's people out there that feel like, oh, because I want to give you $20 and I can't give you 20, so I won't give you anything. When or the, if people may feel like, oh, if I give you, I, I don't want to give you five dollars because I feel like I'm being too cheap. But it's like yeah. people have to understand something as a collective. Share sharing the post is the most important thing that people can do. Yeah, because yeah. there because there's just plenty of people out there with money and they just need to see it. Visibility right. is right. what we right. need more right. of. Yeah, I know. And the thing is, is like you know what? There's there's diseases that are contagious, but hope and love is also contagious, right? So if I if you know if you can give if I can give five dollars and I've got five friends that can give five dollars and that multiplying effect, you know, to the you know the third power, we just cube that. Yeah, somebody somebody told me a long time ago that that love is the infinite joy in another person's well being. And and I just see um, you bring me joy in what you do. You, it brings me joy in being able to to be able to participate for all of us to be able to participate in any way, shape, or form that we can in what you're doing. Because like you said earlier, this is a human problem. And you said you're going to keep using your voice. And there's just something beautiful as an outsider right now um, who's observing your story. When I say an outsider, just hear me on this is what I mean by is, is that person that was in service that was lived during a time of don't ask that, don't tell, couldn't, they couldn't use their voice. And now how you're using that voice, it's been set free. And you're not just using it for you, you're using it for so many other wonderful, amazing, beautiful people. Thank you so much for, for using your voice today. We just really want to say thank you so much for being us with us today. And we look forward to being able to, to root and cheer and help in the process. So thank you so much, Nikki. Thank you. Thank you both. It was an absolute pleasure. I'm beyond grateful because I know that this is a... As, it's a turning point of success um, and just helping other humans. That's really what it's about. And it just, it just feels good to, to be doing this yeah. and to know that I have the support of other humans who believe in this vision um, and, and really helping make a difference and not just saying, Oh, I'm going to do this, but actually like yeah. really do it. action, 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 action. Yes. Yeah. Right. Well, bless you. And uh, we'll see you soon. You shall. Thank you. 
humans. We're all humans. And sometimes other humans need our help. What can you do to help? Well, in this case, you could visit Nikki's profile page on our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com. This is where you can get connected to help support with a donation that will directly benefit one of the humans Nikki is working with. It may pay for a meal or a car ride to the doctor or to a job interview. If you can't support financially, that is okay. We ask that you share their information on social media to help spread the word about the work that Nikki is doing. The more visibility there is for the cause, the better. In the end, however you can help, you will be a human helping another human. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk Out Loud. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate us, and share with a friend. You can also follow us on social media at Talk Out Loud Live. If you or someone you know has an inspirational story and a member of the LGBTQIA community, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us on our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com. On our website, you can also catch up on past episodes, learn more about our past guests, and browse their profiles. You can also get your official Talk Out Loud gear in our online store and browse our online bookstore curated with our guests' recommended books. Thanks again for listening, and remember, be true, be you, and to talk out loud.